Hello and welcome to episode 175 of The Great and Crowbar. It is the 7th of February 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And Philippa War. Hi. Hi, gang. Hello. Hey, Chris. Hi. <laughs> right, that was bouncier than usual. Gang? Gang. I feel like a member of the famous five. The famous three now. Well, it used to be five. Now speaking it's three. of plucky incompetence encountering crimes, <laughs> the game's media responds this week uh, to an actual, actual, honest to God sentencing um, of. So, you know, you guys are going to have to help me out here because I think we all know the facts, but I'm going to get them in the wrong order. And it's one of those legal things, like what we talked about last week, that we are wholly incapable of, of treating with the decorum they deserve. And require by law or something. Um, what was the thing that happened last it week? It was the Zenimax settlement. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was equally precarious well, for indeed. us and for them, by all accounts. Allegedly, I think I'm doing this right. Yes. Um, allegedly doesn't protect you from libel. Lawsuit. Damn it. Allegedly. was <laughs> <laughs> supposed to be the cheat code. <laughs> Shit. I genuinely believe that was true as well. Oh, well. Anyway, so um, essentially... Um, is it two British YouTubers that are, are you know, specialising in, in FIFA, um, have been, have settled on charges of, is it illegal They've gambling? They've pled guilty. Pled guilty, that's it. Um, for allegedly running, uh, sort of gambling websites using some of FIFA's system. Well, correct? once they've pled guilty, you can say they have pled guilty to the okay, charge. They of... did it. De- okay, okay, fine. I'll get rid of my caveat. <laughs> you, know, you explain, Pip. You understand. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's basically just that they've pled guilty to the charges that they were being uh, prosecuted on. I've forgotten what the actual charges were because they were running two different websites, I think. So, like, one of them was the one where you could like cash out your FIFA coins and right. things. And the other one that they were also affiliated with or running, um, I can't remember which was the one where you could then use those coins to place bets. Um, and so it was essentially like the, they were facilitating all of this gambling unlicensed mm. and, you know, and weren't they also, um, like didn't weren't they also found to have made videos they promoting all, the use of th- these sites without disclosing their own ownership I think it was another one of the, the problems was, you know, saying, hey, here's a thing, uh, nothing to do with me, yeah. <laughs> implicitly. Well, I bring that so, up because even though obviously this is primarily affecting the console side of, of games and, you know, uh, overlapping with media, this is, I think, ex- very close to what those uh, Counter-Strike YouTubers were accused of uh, last year when Valve were kind of pulled into that. Washington State gambling. Oh Lord, palava. I think it gets really complicated because I don't think that. So I think that the obviously there were accusations that involved people promoting um, stuff that they were involved in and profiting from without disclosing their affiliation to those sites. But I think that they weren't necessarily operating the side of it like as in the black market side of it that made it profitable right if you see uh, like i i don't remember how deeply like how closely knit the involvement was 
I, I believe so this is the side of it that we haven't you know obviously haven't haven't researched fresh for this episode but as far as i know it's basically the same situation because those youtubers also owned the site that they were pro- pro- pointing people towards no but you can own a site that does the betting side of it without owning the site that does the cashing in and out that's true yeah that's no, what but, i mean okay that makes sense but anyway so the, so it's it's a it's a pattern that's recurred f- in in several different games but this feels like the most substantial legal judgment that's been rendered in a case like this yeah it sounds like they were made to pay uh quite a lot of money to uh essentially with pleading guilty with um one of them on twitter said that it was to avoid a prison sentence and the governing commission came out with an extremely strong statement about this yeah we should actually so we should probably read both because uh, the gambling commission statement is, is pretty strident says uh, this was one of the most serious cases that has been investigated and prosecuted by the commission its gravity is reflected in the significant financial penalties imposed by the judge the defendants knew that the site was used by children and that their conduct was illegal but they turned a blind eye in order to achieve substantial profits the effect on of on children of online gambling was rightly described by the court as horrific and serious and it goes on to explain that all gambling sites operating in britain have to be licensed and abide by the law for obvious reasons um and I, I guess the um, uh, the one of the YouTubers involved, whose YouTube name is Nepenthes, uh, said, um, and this, I mean, take this as you will. Um, I want to thank all those who've supported me through my journey. I'd understand any viewers, cho- cho- any viewers' choice to no longer watch my content. I owe a huge apology and debt of gratitude to my loyal supporters. Even if this is the end of our journey together, I'm grateful. Uh, so the, the side of this that I think interests me just as a sort of observer of this industry is it feels like the most substantial time the wild west of YouTube has been put squarely in its place within the law. I can't think of an equivalent, at least in our industry, of um, the you know more traditional legal ideas of um false advertising advertising to children um you know all of the different sort of compact um parts of this being quite so clearly laid out with such a quite a strong punishment for abuse yeah with it's interesting because being on this we've talked about this a few times on this podcast over the years i mean i remember talking about this like almost two and a half years ago um the idea of gambling via uh games and the fact that it was completely unregulated and that the judiciary were way behind um they just did not understand the virtual space and it were just taking too long to move into it and now we're actually finally seeing that happen just years later which is which is interesting and necessary <laughs> and welcome to be honest yeah uh because it's, it, it seems like people were just able to uh, approach children and try and introduce them to gambling for profit uh via the means of kind of entertaining youtube personalities and that is the sort of thing that you know i think most societies would consider unacceptable yeah uh so it's uh, it's also kind of we start to see the imposition of uh, the rules and ways of operating that as people in print media and online media um like official relatively mainstream channels we have to abide by this every day i know like we got this podcast we're like oh don't quite know about this but actually when we're doing stories we fucking yeah yeah you know look into it and are really careful about it um, because it's really fucking important and uh i, I welcome the the day that um people creating 
the YouTube personalities are held to those same standards because those standards protect people, especially children. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, maybe it's hard to weigh in on this beyond a certain point simply because obviously, you know, we're in different sides of the business and, and I think we've, and I certainly had my frustrations with, um, you know, during, during grimmer and more ethics focused times for the traditional games media, it's been sometimes frustrating, hmm. uh, to be aware of the impunity with which, um, people working in the new parts of media can act even as all of that ire and, and misguided, sort of um attention is paid to people working on traditional magazines and websites um and so there's a there's a sort of um it's sort of nice to see this you know people have to realize that they actually know they do have to abide by the law and they do have to exist within the same apparatus as, as traditional media uh however i think i'd be cur- like this story kind of the way this came into my kind of personal feed today was via someone pointing out a lot of the responses that those sort of mayor culpa tweets had gotten on Twitter, which was a sort of overwhelming, well, it looked like an outpouring of support from fans who were like, don't worry, man, hmm. like, we know you did it for the best reasons or whatever. And that, uh, even that statement by the YouTuber that speaks of like primarily about his journey and, uh, and hits on concepts of like, you know, loyalty of fans and kind of, you know, um, and so on. I do find that personally frustrating. I sort of want there to be, I, I want there to, you know, I feel like betrayals of trust of that magnitude should be met with the departure of somebody's, um, yeah. support. I suspect that won't happen because I suspect YouTube as a medium is, is incredibly good at fostering empathy, which is probably one of the reasons it's works, right? It's also one of the reasons it's potentially open to abuse. And that still remains an unanswered question for me about how, mm-hmm. how you know, even when the law does step in, how effective is that at actually, um making people more uh circumspect about what they consume and you know what messages it's it's putting forward i think the the size of the expense incurred by um the people who pled guilty like that that lev- that scale of um you know charge would put off this as a business strategy <laughs> essentially yeah. So that that's where that's where this really strikes is the idea that you, you know, this will be profitable uh, unless you get found out, in which case it will presumably, given those costs, severely damage your business. And then you might have to change your monetization to a more traditional advertising revenue approach with that audience. Yeah. Uh, so that that's where the good will be done, where mm. the, the money we made through more traditional means and ways played, you know, in ways that you have to be clear about when you're uh, taking sponsorship money for certain yeah videos etc etc rather than guiding people to gambling sites to xyz you know yeah or people will get better at hiding things and move things overseas yeah indeed (laughs) so you know because i mean part of it isn't necessarily that the law itself isn't equipped it's that actually pinning down who is responsible and can be prosecuted is a massive problem because you know it all depend you know what which developer is actually operating the game and what they've made available via you know public apis and you know they'll also have layers of so who's running this website is it somebody who is you know actually resident in any of the countries where these laws apply and you know like how how do you actually verify that particular age groups are using the site and you know like and on and on and on and it just gets so complicated that like without perhaps a a global 
internet policy which i just don't see happening you know like but on matters like that you know you can't it it gets so difficult to actually pin down and prosecute these things beyond you mm. know yeah <laughs> yeah i mean well pointedly you know one detail i saw in a couple of stories on this is that the uh, spanish version of that gambling site um is still operating and is owned by the same people mm. I don't know what the exact details are there, whether they've you know, divested themselves of it or whether they haven't or, or what, but it's exactly that point. Maybe this, this, this judgment could be arrived at because the people involved are British and the site was a British operated as a Britain, a business in Britain. Mm. Um, and therefore it can come under the purview of the British gambling regulator. But as, as you say, Pippa, anything outside of that is. I mean, when lost. The- when the CSGO stuff was being talked about, certainly initially, there was a lot of discussion of whether, like, it it was something that Valve could even be held responsible for because weren't they just providing a software service and it wasn't up to them if people used that to then, you know, do something illegal? You know, like, at what point does the developer or the publisher or whoever it is have responsibility and that was kind of hmm. an interesting thing as well it was i think we were, we were talking about this before in the last time we just go to this um like the man the pr hit for having kids gambling using your you know your services even tangentially via a third party is, is so bad <laughs> like it's so awful if that those headlines happen that you know kids are gambling and losing money you know using your game as a kind of vehicle even if you're using external sites to cash out it's just fucking bad news yeah but something i wonder is that like i mean because this was covered on the bbc and it's something it, it it's a game that is sort of maybe more clearly explainable because it has a real life counterpart and it involved i think real football matches as well so you could actually sort of explain it to people perhaps a little bit more easily than you could explain, you know, skins gambling in CSGO or something. And so, like, maybe there would be a PR hit there. But as far as I've seen, I don't think I've seen the CSGO stuff move beyond the games industry specifically. I don't think I've seen it covered by any mainstream sites. And so the, Mm. you know, the hit there... I don't really see what it is. No, you know? I don't think there is one for Valve, really. And here, like in this specific example, where would the hit be? Would it be for YouTube? Would it be for this YouTuber in particular? Like parents not being comfy with that? Or would it be for FIFA the game? Or, you know, like... I, I think I think it would be for FIFA. And I, I, I think... I think Tom's right that that would be something that EA would pay attention to. Yeah. Simply because they... I mean, they're a more traditional company than Valve with a more traditional um, attitude towards their own image. No, I know, but I mean, what I'm getting at is as if somebody was a parent or a caregiver or something who, you know, wasn't ensconced in games press, like, I'm wondering where the frustration would actually be directed, you know, as Mm. a kind of gut response, how would you read that story? And obviously, as somebody who is very much engaged in that area, it's hard to know, but I'd I'd be genuinely interested to just see how yeah. somebody read that story outside games. I think that 
this because this story went to court and had a kind of conclusion and it was there's some court reporting to be done where facts have been established mm. that made it you know a strong story for the guardian and for the bbc to run whereas with the csgo story the, the parameters weren't necessarily the same like just reporting a case mid-progress when the subject matter might not necessarily be interesting at all to a, a wide audience it becomes less worthwhile however i think if you put children gambling and the name of a video game in a news story like even valve would care about that news yeah. story but that said like um there are you know there's a less than there is less than five video games whose name is so you know whose name and branding is so widespread that it fully transcends the medium and fifa is one of them mm. like Strike isn't call of duty is like you know you, like they're the, the names of games that you can put on a headline and people will know roughly what you're talking about minecraft is probably one yeah or it's like it's one of the most recent additions to that very very small you know group of of the games that people who have a playstation for the dvd player but still get two games a year know about and so i think fifa is new i think fifa is uniquely placed yeah to fit fit the newspapers because obviously everyone knows what football is even the sort of the gambling mechanisms within fifa the kind of card collecting kind of stuff has is itself an analogy for stuff that people recognize from real life um everything about it has those easy easy points of connection with with the lived experience people maybe don't otherwise give a shit about games whereas you know counter-strike is far far more abstract and, and harder to comprehend in terms of sort of old media narratives about this stuff counter-strike fits the other archetype which is the unknowable violent gun simulator that is coming you know creeping in from the sidelines mm. we're in terms of the sort of stories that get told about it this is this whole thing is a tabloid crusade waiting to happen it is it's it's it fits into all the kind of traditional narratives about video games being a threat to children somehow warping behavior of young people etc etc like it's just waiting for the sign or the mail to pick it up. It's yeah. absolutely right there for them to kind of launch a campaign, you know. And if it was, I think that campaign would follow the traditional lines, which is to target the game itself absolutely. and to target games. Yeah. Because actually, if you think about it, YouTube is not, and the content of a YouTuber, that is not a widely understood concept, even though it's such a huge thing. Absolutely. Um, similarly, online gambling through with using in-game currencies um you know looking at one of the quotes one of the defenses that were put forward about why you don't need to be 18 to do this stuff this is incorrect hmm. was that the gambling was with fake currency and even those ideas are um pretty abstract right the the the, the thing the narrative that this easily clicks into is games are bad for kids right not youtube is a poorly regulated media platform <laughs> so yeah, I suspect you're right, basically. Hmm. Well, hopefully, well, yeah. <laughs> they listen to this podcast. Yeah, indeed. And that hopefully... Allegedly. Know, uh, I don't know, the law could do more to try and regulate this stuff. Yeah, it's just about... Personally, yeah, hopefully. I mean, there are reasons those rules and regulations exist for all other forms of hmm. media, and in this case, gambling. And the heartening thing is seeing it applied firmly and intelligently albeit maybe in a case where it was easier to do so because national law could apply because fuck knows what you do about everything else. Hmm. But video games, we've played them. Pip, yes. what have you been up to? Um, I've played... Uh, last week I played A House of Many Doors, if you want to talk about that. Mm, that's, um, uh, yeah, it came out last week, didn't it? 
Yes, it came out on the third, so Friday. Hmm. Well, mm. we've nailed that down. Indeed. Um, so it is by a developer called Harry Tufts. I believe he's Pixel Trickery. Um, and it's very much in the Sunless Sea kind of mode of gaming in that you have a fantastical world with uh, exploration that you do via a kind of mechanical centipede called a kinetopede. Um, and you trample through rooms on your little scuttle legs and you seek out new places Um sort of expanding your horizons and encountering story snippets um, as you go and developing sort of friendships and relationships with your crew members and things like that. Um, so it's very much a narrative-driven game. It's, you know, hundreds of thousands of words. Um, and it very closely takes on the structures of Sunless Sea. It is very much those loops of going out, finding new places, coming back. You know, there's a lot of, you know, voyaging using your kinetopede um, and, you know, sort of choosing whether to take on or run away from enemies and, you know, having small environmental encounters. But, you know, the, the main meat of it is in these uh, in these ports, for want of a better word. Um, the actual map is set up kind of like a grid. So every room you go in, you can go north, south, east or west. Um, and so like it, the idea is that you're in a house and the house is this like parasite dimension that sucks things through from other worlds. And that's why you've got random crap on the floor and, you know, all of this <laughs> That's stuff. been my excuse for a long time. <laughs> you know, um, and like people have been sucked through from other dimensions and things like that. So it's kind of an interesting starting point. Um, but I've, even though I was really loving the storytelling and the mood and uh, the artwork is lovely every time you encounter a city, it's properly stunning and... Um, so atmospheric, but I've eventually tapped out of it because I encountered too many bugs and just one the other day was just so frustrating that I, <laughs> I was like, I, I, I think I'm done now. Um, so what I'd been doing was I'd actually been really enjoying the exploration side of things, but I played the main bulk of it a few days before it launched, as in like I played it for about five days you know on and off um but it was still you know a couple of days before the launch when I had played most of that um and then it was doing things like I would get errors that crashed out of the game and um like I encountered something that fucked up a quest line so one of the things that you can do is go to these other places and bring the news of that place back and write an article that you can sell to different levels of newspaper and there's one that's a tabloid that pays a lot of money but it's really trashy and <laughs> there's a broadsheet that pays nothing but it's what, really what kind well of thing regarded. do you write for the tabloid <laughs> um i don't think you get an example of those stories i think it's more that it you know it, it's obviously a thing that you make a choice as a oh, player okay. which you want to be affiliated with and after uh, i went the middle one um so the uh, independent i guess <laughs> <laughs> although the, maybe the independent from about 10 years ago <laughs> um but so i went that route and 
I think so at some point you've written enough for them that they like you enough that they want to actually employ you and so they start sending happen. you this mad fantasy world <laughs> they start wanting to send you on particular assignments and so it assigned me you know a report of a particular place and I went there and it just won't let me do anything like there's nothing further in that quest and so it's permanently lit up that city saying go here there's something to do for this report that I need to write but when I get there there's no option to actually do anything about that and then when I go back to my home city it's like the the option to hand in that report is grayed out but like I can now hand in an infinite number of reports about anything else because I think it has just properly bugged out on the the newspaper thing and so I just I you know like if there is a payoff to whichever one you choose I'm never gonna find it because it's just a permanently you know nothing quest at this point but but at this stage you can sell the same article over and over again to a paper which is basically what works the guardian (laughs) whenever they run the uh I went into the wilderness and abandoned technology story that appears like (laughs) clockwork every three months you're in that position I think I think you've actually hit upon a spectacular piece of performance art <laughs> game design about Maybe being I a journalist yeah. yeah like so so what you're saying is that you had a story you really wanted to do and somehow everyone involved has forgotten that you ever wanted to do it and the apparatus with which to perform it seemed impossible so you might as well just do the same thing over and over and over it's called having a column oh, <laughs> you just you become a columnist you've, you've won the game that's, yeah. it. that's the end game so yeah so it's, there were little <laughs> things like that that were kind of annoying and then i encountered one too many um fatal crashes one evening which is when i was like okay like i've i've definitely played more than enough to actually review the game but at this point i'm frustrated and won't be playing it further in my own time and then a few days later i was like oh hmm, i would still really like to see how some of these things play out because they you know they've genuinely been like well written and really engaging and atmospheric and stuff and there's like one of my crewmates seems to be involved in a conspiracy that we're both trying to unravel and another one had like had something happen to her where i now need to go in and change the memories in her own head in (laughs) particular locations and so you know um there were things that i wanted to do but then apparently because the game itself people had been having like bugs to do with their save files and it sounded like they were quite serious bugs like things just not saving or you know whatever else and so the developer had obviously had to to do a thing that fixed that but what he had had to do wiped all of the data on my map screen and so the whatever it was 15 to 20 hours of going out in my kinetopede and painstakingly like going across rows and then down one and then back across the row to just you know like see particular locations or find you know what there was in a particular bit of the map had just all been eradicated and given I'd spent the afternoon before that happened doing an entire section and feeling really kind of, okay, well, I've seen everything there that I need for later. And like was like, okay, and now I can like go and do some other things. And it was like, okay, you've got nothing, <laughs> literally nothing to show for your afternoon. So I, at that point, thought, we're done now. <laughs> we is the are game, so done. Is it in early access or is it out? 
No, it's out now, and I feel like maybe it should have had an mm. early access phase. There was, a, there was but, a launch day patch, wasn't there? I believe so. And the thing, the map thing happened on Saturday, I think. Okay. So that would have been like very soon after launch. So I think I'm alone with the amount of time I would have spent on the game, you know, at that point. Yeah. So I think for most people it would have only been, you know, a little annoyance. Um, so I think the the bigger thing is more just sort of how close it is to Sunless Sea in its format and, mm. like, in its general mood. Like, there's a lot of sort of little differences and things, but ultimately it has a sort of same strangeness and menace and joy of language that, you know, it's like it's so in sunless sea's shadow from you know from the fact that it harry has been open about like that sunless sea was one of the big inspirations for the game but also fail better this was their incubation project as well and so it just feels like maybe if the games could have diverged it would have possibly just been better for for both of them because it Mm. feels i was talking to adam from rps about this and it was kind of like we we were both sort of talking about was it just a case of like the apple really not falling far enough away from the tree because it's so in the shadow of sunless sea and given that eyes were on that game for the kickstarter i was trying to work out like whether it was then in the shade of two other games yeah. rather than for, you know for skies as well yeah that's what i mean like mm, so yeah. the kickstarter yeah. for on the skies which then you know was talking about sunless seas a lot and making everyone sort of go oh that that game exists because to promote that they put a bit of the kickstarted content into um sunless sea for like everyone to play and so it's kind of like it's not even it like oh if you are craving more of the same go play this other thing it's kind of like if you are having your eyeballs on this game we've added a couple of extra things to our other one yeah (laughs) so so i guess it just felt slightly too tangled up in it and i don't think because of all the you know the little bugs and things that i encountered like my instinct would still be to direct people to sunless sea first Mm. because it's got a higher degree of polish and the maps it's because you're um exploring a map with lovely kind of curves and and a sort of the the capability of following like a coastline or striking out into the sea and being surprised by an island it's a very different feeling than going from room to room and slipping into that mind space of oh i'll go one along and then Mm. two up and then you know like you get really kind of yeah there's less chance of running into something by accident and you're Mm. forever bringing up the map to just go okay is there anything on the horizon is it um I got the impression, but I just realised I'm not actually sure that it is in the same sort of. I don't want to say steampunk because it's not really, but sort of Victoriana fantasy. It's thing. less Victoriana, I would say. I think um, he referenced uh, Calvino and right. people. Uh, when sort of talking about the game but there is there are elements of steampunk to it but there's also just sort of more sort of esoteric kind of like there's a 
the Omni Pope who sits on his throne and is like huffing I'm God's, every pope. Like oh, God pope. smoke for you know days, and then like has these stained glass mirror shades. You know, mm. he's okay. got to be the boss fight. The final boss fight, surely. <laughs> so, um, like, it's. I don't know. To me, it felt a bit more, um, a bit less Victoriana, okay. like a bit less kind of industrial, mm. if you okay. see what yeah. I mean. I've been interested um, to try it for that reason. The reason I ask is because I think, I mean, partly because um, Victor- uh, Fallen London was so influential, mm. obviously on Sun of the Sea. Um but I think, you know, tangentially on uh, 80 Days, which is an excellent thing in its own right, but, mm. you know, has a lot of sort of, like, sensibilities in terms of its art in, in common or its ideas in yeah. common with, with I think there's, there's definitely uh, an element of it that you can't get away from that I think maybe is just because those stories tended to have that exploration element, you know, that sort of people striking out to explore a world aspect to them you know anything 80 yeah. daisy yeah because obviously you know jules verne is a big influence well, yeah. say, on sun the sea and, and obviously on 80 days and so they yeah. felt like and they felt like there was a sort of vernian thing to I, this right i think like, it's more that it's um it's slightly less far down the heavily industrialized factory kind of track the the actual victoriana right. that um yeah, sun the sea properly embraces you know smoggy streets and urchins and no i mean you'll encounter things like that but like you'll also have other like i think because of the conceit being about this parasite dimension dragging stuff in Mm. you get a little bit more of that sort of um sense of difference you know like there's there's things that do seem strange even in in relation to the other bits in the world they hang together nicely i think Mm. because the the writing style doesn't change loads but you know i think i think there is definitely an effort to make there be differences I don't quite know how to explain it because I haven't read nearly as widely in that genre as you have. So, it's, I mean, the like, reason, like, I, I bring it up because I think it's actually it was it's interesting for me that the other way that there are more games like this, sort of more story exploration games that don't have necessarily all of the traditional trappings of an RPG, but have these themes to them. And I'm actually interested in seeing what happens when they start to leave that set of tropes behind because i mean i love fallen London. i really love really admire sun the sea but they know, have that shared dna of yeah. like talking about you know the occult as kind of like a hobby and you know oscilloscopes turn up but you know it's the, it's that kind of like um industrial occult yeah gentleman yeah it's like going on it's like it's a lot of it is is sort of folded into like uh, fantasy, like fantasy, like sort of Dunsany and Poe yeah. and uh, Arthur Mack and and uh, and that their kind of like little tenderless connections to Alistair Crowley and and Yeats yeah. and there's there's a lot in there that is sort of shared and it's you know it's a very potent aesthetic to draw from but it interests me that 
as this stops being fallen London and its ideas or stops just being 80 days and its ideas and becomes a little mini genre, albeit one that is, is focused extraordinarily on fail better. Yeah. You know, I'd like to, I would like to see things branch out that go a little bit further away from that set of influences. I see a soap opera equivalent. Yeah. yeah. I think essentially it's, it's not Sunless Sea, but it's more that it isn't by degrees rather than by an entire shift. So that's what I'm trying to to waggle towards in a really inept way. Waggle little pe- little centipede without having any of the requisite authors to no, mind. No, it just is of interest because <laughs> I mean I think there is there are things on the horizon that maybe do take some of those ideas and, and deploy them in a different way. But but yeah, and I, and I well, say I'm that interested to see how Sunless Skies turns out and yeah. sort of riffs on things again. You know, the sort of cosmic romance kind of. Mm. I'm really excited about this actually because I, really I, I feel like they could. The stuff they could fix about the Sunless Sea format. And they've actually sort of spoken about bits and pieces of it, like the the idea of things looping differently, you know, and your your exploration and return journeys being balanced differently and, you know, what happens when you die and, you know, sort of how your legacy works is kind of interesting. Yeah, and having multiple hubs and stuff where you can have, like, you mm. choose your starting locations, it's just even that choice, I think, could do a lot for the game. So I'll yeah, to go back to the sure. same place over. Uh, yeah, so I should, I should clarify, when I say about maybe wanting that set, those settings to diversify a bit, it doesn't mean I'm not excited about the direction they're taking it in. I don't think Fail Better have every right to, you know, make, own that sort of creative Oh, space. also there's a weird FTL fight sim, fight sort of slant on it as well oh in um house of many doors yeah like it was kind of odd when i first encountered it because like you end up in a situation where you're like oh you know you either choose to fight someone or you have no choice and you know combat ensues and so you have like a number of moves that you can make um and you play them out and then they go in real time and you can do things like closing the gap between you and the other ship or moving further away and you have to have people manning the cannons before you can use them things like that um and like you know obviously they can do stuff to you they can board you you know all of that stuff and you can aim at their cannons to try and take them out you know all of that kind of Hmm. Kerfuffle, um, but I never really got on with it. It was like because I never got on with the Sunless Sea combat, but like this felt like a, a different not getting on with it. <laughs> Are you putting in a big circle to kill a crab? No, because you you just have a split screen oh, setup, like in FTL. Yeah, and so you know you've got like all you really have is you know you have the intel on their ships, so you've got the rooms and where everybody is, and you know the weaponry and stuff, and then you've got like the thing that tells you how far away you are. Obviously, like that will affect accuracy, or it'll affect whether they can board you, or you know all of that kind of stuff. But if you don't make your moves in the the requisite amount of time, then like you know obviously action goes on without you. So you need to be aware of that and press pause if you want a bit of time to to think about it so it's very ftl-ish and like again he's been open about the influence and stuff but you know i'm it i'd be interested if either of you do end up playing it whether you think it works Mm because like it works for me better than sunless seas combat but like i'm still not you know, I, d- I don't enter into battles willingly or, mm. <laughs> you know, with any degree of enjoyment. So off the top of my head, and I might be misremembering this, people can correct me if I am, Sunless Sea's first combat system was a lot more like that before they stripped out and re- redid it. Was that the one where you worked out how to game it so you never even needed to fight anything? 
No, that was that was later. That was problem the, solved. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, the, the first one was I think turn based and okay. more about like selecting subsystems. I I think, but because I only played it when like a long they time did ago. the like you know real time ponderous yeah. moving in circles. I think Chris is right. Yeah, that there was a kind of illuminating the opponent was like a big part of it, and it was like a task bar that would I think you'd have to swap moves or you'd be on a timer that would always be yeah kind of you a bit like ftl because ftl is not really turn-based because it's pause based Mm. yeah it's pause and tactics thing isn't it really um Mm. interesting i definitely would like to to play it because it is you know it is broadly my bag even though i argue about the specifications of that bag i will probably start it again i will Mm. but i just need a bit of time for the the sting of losing all of my progress and you know, the quests becoming gradually uncompletable yeah. <laughs> to, to pass. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's a step away from it for a week and go back, I think. Mm, issue. Yeah. Interestingly, um, uh, like that was one of the games I almost played this week because I think Tom and I underwent the same process to figure out something, to find something new to play. Yeah. Which And we didn't even coordinate this. We just both submitted ourselves to Steam's recommendation engine. <laughs> And it's and and the House of Many Doors was one of the ones that it recommended to me, and the game, I came very close to to hit and go on that, but I ended up going for something else. But it sounds like both you and I have been actually quite surprised by how well that worked. Definitely, I was del- both delighted. Have you been playing the same thing then? No, no, no. But it, I went through my queue basically, and there were things same I here. yeah, I went, there were things I know I'll like in there, like For Honor. But oh, okay. But then I picked a game out. But I'll talk about that in a minute. What did you pick out of your? your list uh, well I, I had to wade through like a load of like really crap zombie games for some reason i got a lot of jrpgs that's oh, interesting really? yeah oh. mine was mostly games with 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 like like anime fairy ladies huh. on them and some things i really like it's like i've played resident evil recently on the yeah. same account and i love left for dead but apart from that you know i don't want janky <laughs> bad zombie games but for some reason steam thinks i do isn't that just ninety percent of what's on Steam at <laughs> any given that, time? Maybe, though? It. maybe it's just like, look, someone's going to fucking buy the these. odds now. This is what we've got. This is, you know, <laughs> it's like the, yeah, it's like the, the chicken sandwiches and old salmon bin at Sainsbury's. Yeah, yeah, because you know you've got nine out of ten recommendations. Ninety percent of games are zombie games. So exactly. it felt like back when I was at university and I'd uh, I'd used to rummage around a random bargain bin and pick out a PS2 game and just play it, and <laughs> it was always dreadful, but entertaining with it. Whereas uh, this time I just kind of like kept on clicking through and found a game called Valley, which suddenly had no zombies in it and suddenly wasn't just widely hated by all the Steam reviews that <laughs> were attached to it. And in fact, you know, people had quite positive reviews and it looked quite pretty. And it's like a third person, uh, no, sorry, a first person kind of exploration game where you have control over the forces of life and death. So I was like, all right, let's give this a go. And I ended up playing it over lunch and having an amazing time with it uh, it's called valley and you're puts you into a valley <laughs> i'm with of, you <laughs> of, where it's quite not it's really idyllic place and it's that the idea is that people are searching for this life seed thing uh and this life seed can supposedly destroy the world etc etc uh but as you're kind of moving through this valley beautiful sunlight coming down through the trees you open a giant metal box and there's a there's a mech suit inside that you climb into, and uh, I was like, oh fuck's sake, <laughs> this is really silly. Uh, but I know silly's fine. And then it's like, well, the mech suit lets you run really fast and jump really far, 
And also there's a whole like tribes movement system thing in here where you what? start running downhill and then when you come up and you press space, you, you can leap miles. <laughs> Chris's eyes are just lighting <laughs> up. <laughs> this is not the game I thought it was going to be. Uh, same here. This was like part of the exciting thing about it. Like it felt like a proper lucky dip steam thing where I just kind of went in there, grabbed it and just drew out this kind of crazy, really fun experience that I wasn't expecting. And I think my kind of low expectations are largely responsible for how much I enjoyed it, to be honest. <laughs> um, it's not like a, I think it was, I was reviewing it being in the 70s somewhere for a few reasons, but I had so much fun. So basically you keep on moving through this valley and there's a whole kind of light resource system where there are all these glowing kind of orbs floating everywhere, which obviously looks beautiful. And when you run through them, you're, uh, your mech suit absorbs them and that lets you do things like double jump and obviously there's a grappling hook that lets you grapple between places um (laughs) and there's a whole storyline which i'm not going to get into (laughs) because it's not important but it would just like kind of throw you into like a a big open area with a lumpy open area because it's got the tribe system of you know going downhill very quickly and then jumping up and trying to angle your descent so you see valleys right there maintain your speed tiny wings isn't it tiny wings is a rip-off of tribes (laughs) everyone everyone knows this yeah but we need to talk in terms of games i've actually played and enjoyed yeah well tiny Uh, tribes (laughs) and your energy resource can uh be used with a left click uh, to bring things back to life. So if you see dead trees, <laughs> you shoot energy into them. And so they it is a zombie game. Maybe that's it. Maybe that was Steam's <laughs> logic all along. Uh, and with the right click, you could take life away. <laughs> Including from just random, like, deer in the environment. <laughs> what the cat? You're just, just, like, skiing around, and then you just, just fuck up a deer. Yeah, just, like, take suck it. That's mine now. Power, that powers up my battery so I could go faster. <laughs> take that, nature. Uh <laughs> The, uh, the great thing about this is that uh, when you die, uh, the suit brings you back to life. They call it like quantum death or something. Uh, and the idea is that you come back to life and you basically steal the life force from stuff around you to bring you back. Right. So there's a, I, I fucked up a jump and it put me brought me back on the other side of the jump, but a dead deer was nearby. <laughs> and it was ambiently to just kill something whenever you're revived. And oh. the actual health bar that you have is the health bar of the entire valley. So oh, if, you, wow. if you die too many times, uh, enough stuff dies that the valley just dies. Oh, wow. Which okay. is crazy. It's a possibility that the deer might just rise up against you. <laughs> the, the, the mech-suited skiing asshole. Yeah, but what are they going to do? They can't kill you. No, they can't. No, they, what they, they kill me, they, they die. Yeah, they'd have to put you in a deer tank and then, like, you know, have to deer patrol you and, like, what? just make sure that you... Well, no, like, as in they'd have to put him in a tank that they themselves had designed. Okay. The deer, the deer tank, you see. Yeah, you skipped ahead of me of here a little bit, right. but go on, yeah. Well, I was thinking about it from their point of view. And then they would have to patrol it to make sure you couldn't get out to do more, like, damage but, like, they wouldn't be able to kill you. They'd just have to, like, feed you. So mm. they would be weirdly subservient and afraid of you, but you'd be stuck in a tank. Yeah, I'd essentially they'd become a kind of parasite f- for me, like, a, yeah. you know, that feeds me gradually. They could put that you in happen. the next valley. Thus <laughs> kicking the problem. You, you, have, you have, like, created an entirely hideous horror scenario here that <laughs> someone should definitely make a game about. I was going to go for the grim, bleak, bittersweet sci-fi ending where all the deer kill themselves. In order to den- denying you, yeah, denying you your life existence. force. That'd be oh. the, the. Well, I would work out your maximum radius. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Those deer need to get better at projectile weaponry. Yeah, they just need to invent guns. <laughs> yeah, because then if they put you in, I don't know, a sand pit at the far end of the valley and then mm. shoot you, 
then you're fucked. How much life does sand contain? Well, I suppose quite a lot, but you know. But all this is true, but it doesn't happen. That <laughs> doesn't happen in the game. Okay. Fine. <laughs> what does happen in the game, Tom? Uh, so, so you've got the skiing, you've got the life-death mechanic, uh, then you have the kind of story about the military uh, <laughs> seizing the life seat and putting it in a base at the top of a large mountain that you have to climb. Uh, but essentially, what's really fun about it is just the traversal, obviously, because any sort of vaguely tribes in traverses is, is really fun and the way it kind of paces you uh, between going through uh like cave systems to light up trees and whenever you light up a tree and give it life back it kind of blooms beautifully and drops golden acorns that you collect to open secret doors <laughs> what <laughs> uh, this is banjo and kazooie as well yeah it's got that going as well and it's just such a crazy mishmash of stuff and also so easy just like frictionlessly easy to just go really fast the enemies die in three shots life shots and um it's really kind of like a weirdly pacifist game for a for a game about the military seizing a life seed to create a giant bomb essentially um the enemies are just hornets that are having a really bad time just like insect swarms and they've <laughs> what hornets that are having a bad time they've, they've run out of energy okay and when that happens they get very grumpy and they start shooting projectiles at you <laughs> but if you zap them with life three times they turn into an infinite light ball that you can use to fuel your uh your cell your fuel cells by jumping through it it's, it's just i don't know I just, so you, you just, cheer up and eat depressed hornets you do and, yeah. and it makes you jump faster higher. <laughs> Did you invent this? No, um, it, ha- it really happened to me this you lunchtime. Had a I had a great dream time. At lunchtime. Did you have too much cheese? I mean, I've, I was honest to God. I walk past. I sit next to you, mm. right? You were playing a game where you were in a cave. That's there, what I thought. There are cave bits, but I was bringing trees back to life in that cave, Chris. Okay, and zapping hornets to make them happy again. <laughs> so and, is uh, this very much like a lunchtime length game, or is it something that you will be going back to? I'm definitely going to joy. fucking complete this, Pip. Like tomorrow <laughs> lunchtime, I'm going back to this thing because I think I'm kind of. I'm about halfway through it after lunchtime. It's not long, um, but it's it's like I think it's going. It's half price and it's like seven pound fifty at the moment. Okay. And I wouldn't necessarily spend fifteen pounds on it, but it's definitely something to look out for in a Steam sale. I think uh, as just for a, a jolly, basically. <laughs> and it made me really happy that there is this bracket of games on Steam that are just like a, a, a an easygoing jolly. Yeah. Where you could dip in, and honestly, it doesn't matter about the plot. There, there's no great pretension to this thing. Uh, it's just made its interactions, like the sense of speed you get from zooming down hills and the sense, the feeling you get when you move through an orb and it, it makes this really warm sound effect and the screen, the screen kind of glows for a moment. All those little moments are just really pleasant, quite nice. And there's a bit in the middle of, I've been in the middle of this depressing facility that looks like it could have been made in a game like 15 years ago. And then suddenly I open a box and it says, oh, you, you've gained the even faster power. And now when you surf down rails, the rails light up with blue electricity and you go like five times as fast. And it says you've got like a roller coaster. That happens for like to Sonic the 10, Hedgehog. I felt like Sonic for that bit. It just goes it, to Sonic mode. It's just so just, much fun. So is this, is this an indie game, right? Uh, yeah, it must be. I mean, like, <laughs> I feel like this is what happens if you get a group of people together and they're going to make a game together hmm. and someone's like, you know what? I admire Journey and Flower. Right, that that is where I want to be. I want mm. to make the nature and, and Abzu, the kind of nature conscious, linear, natural, open world exploration adventure. And someone else is like, I like tribes. <laughs> it's got to be like, tribes. Na- uh, we're okay. We're all in on this. We're all in. We all like journey. We all like flower tribes. What about tribes? Can we have a mech in it? 
can, 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 can be all tribes. sections be tribe sections? Yeah. Which is actually a pretty accurate sneak preview of what it'd be like if I was ever a game developer. But, um, yeah, no, amazing. Uh, you completely threw me when you said there was a robot in it and then everything else. I know, you did through me as thrown. well. <laughs> like, it's it starts really gently. Like, uh, you just, you're moving through, it felt, feels like a bit like, uh, kind of everybody's gone to the rapture. I thought, oh, this is going to be like a, you know, a, a meditative thing where you're just kind of looking at sprites and the sprites are these little gorgeous kind of smiley creatures who buzz around really excitedly. And when you get the kind of life stealing gun, uh, <laughs> you can, you can steal the life from one and, uh, it becomes like purple crackly and it's, it's happy face goes sad. Game of the year. Game of the year. Goatee right there. <laughs> Attention to detail. I just love that. I love that you have that connection to nature, but you also have a gun. that <laughs> takes nature yeah, exactly. away. Like giveth and take the soul left, taker gun. Left click giveth, right click taketh away. <laughs> that's not. You know, it'd, be, it'd be like if you were playing Proteus, but you had like a fucking dubstep air horn in your yeah. left hand, so you could be like listening to the kind of oh, look at the twinkly tree and this precision. I kind of I don't know whether to recommend this game. But I've talked about it enough to hopefully make some people add it to their wish list. And uh, the I am literally so. looking this up as soon as we're on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, same, same. <laughs> so, Chris, what was your adventure in the Steam? So my adventure was so shop? different because I I did almost get um, House of Many Doors because that was that was recommended to me. And then there's, there was there's quite a lot of stuff that's kind of like obvious for me, like um, For Honor. Um, but yeah, so the thing I discovered was uh, Pit People, which is the new game. Entered early access, uh, like two weeks ago, I think, um, oh, by the Bear Moth. Yeah. And I love the Bear Moth. Battle Block Theatre. Yeah, Battle Block oh, Theatre yeah. and, yeah. and the Castle Crashes people. And so, and it goes without saying, like, I, I love them. Like, I don't mean that in a kind of like, you know, I like their games. No, I think I might love them. Their whole style is so I, much like, fun. I love their art. Like, the, the games are genuinely funny. Uh, I actually shamefully can't remember the name of the guy who does the voice acting, the, not the voice of a narration for them, but he's like wonderful. And it, it should be a shtick that gets old, but it, for some reason it hasn't. Or I keep rediscovering their games at a decent enough clip that I have, it ha- doesn't get old, and it's sort of nice to have them back. Mm. I completely missed the fact that they were making a new game. Um, and so I've played an hour of it. And so uh, Pit People is a... Um, I'd say, I mean, the best... A good way to describe it, it's also a terrible way to describe it, is like, it's Fire Emblem for Idiots, basically. <laughs> Um, I, and I hope they wouldn't be offended to describe that. Way. <laughs> um, so, uh, the, it, it essentially a, 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 a great evil flaming bear has collided with the earth and caused the earth's surface to fracture into hexes and caused the kind of worldwide apocalypse. Um, and occasionally the bear's blood rains down in storms that cover the earth and stupid things happen and, and it, it's actually, it's, it's increasing, it's quite hard to describe its humor and the timing of its jokes and why it's funny and why it works because it is a little bit like trying to explain a joke or explain mm-hmm. a weird dream you've had. Cause like, I mean, cause I mean, Castle Crashes was sort of like derivative of gauntlet and kind of fun and silly and had humor in it, but mostly came through the art style and little jokes and things. And then Battle Block Theater was actually funny mm. and had really amazing songs and great, it was a great platform game. And this is a strategy game where you have a squad of people, some of whom are named characters and some of whom are um, anyone from the randomly generated warbands that you encounter that you can steal. There's a mechanic for stealing them, adding to your group, and they have amazing randomly generated names. Um, 
and there is a sort of vague rock, paper, scissors system for interaction between weapons. Um, but all you do is tell people where to stand. You don't control attacks. So in your turn, you, within the movement allowance of each of your dudes, send them to a hex that isn't occupied. And then there is an automated, then your team does its automated attacks. And so you're sort of manipulating their AI, so positioning them so they only attack the person that you want them to attack, but also taking into account things like uh, weakness to specific weaponry. If someone has a shield, they'll absorb a lot of arrows that come in from that angle. And it's quite, it's quite analog in terms of how that happens so it feels very sort of even though it's a you know done made out of, sort of 2d art it feels quite physical and analog and slapstick and fun um as a very lightweight strategy game because then the enemy's turn they just move all their dudes around and then you reshuffle all of your dudes and at a strategic level to the extent that it's you know it's got some depth i think it's about ensuring that your most vulnerable characters are protected and that you close off ways that they could they could potentially be flanked and hit while rearranging your front line in a way that accounts for each new position of the enemies and taking into account, you know, uh, different enemy types and also the landscape. And that, that is, that is the game. And you can make a bunch of different games with that system and they've made this mad thing. <laughs> um, and so it is a, it is a complete free for all in terms of ideas. Um, in a way that they are very good at, but if you weren't very good at it, it would be fucking terrible because it is, it is wacky to say the least um but the delivery particularly the voice acting is so good and its ideas are so consistently inventive that it's like opening this sort of like exploding box of toys like it's consistently delightful that you you have a city that you return to which is where you can you drop off loot i think if you die while you're in the wilderness running around on like the over map um that's when you lose stuff but if you get back to the city it kind of deposits all of the loot you've gained when you've been out on on an adventure and the city has like an arena where you can fight people for um for money or co-op or in co-op or in online and there's just a giant space phone that is how you connect to the internet and all it is is you connect to the online play button and it's just a, it's a, a colossal phone and it's again it's the thing that's hard to make as funny as it is when these ideas are introduced um uh, there's loads of brilliant animation like these started out as flash games and it has some of that old school like hand-drawn flash sensibility but this is kind of what that looks like several generations of game down the line when the developer has a lot of resources to expend on it so every button and interaction it's too busy because all of their games are too busy but every little button and interaction feels amazing and chunky and daft and has some little element extra element of flair to it that it doesn't need like it's hard to explain but it you know you want to mash it with your hands rather than click on it because everything has got that. Sort of, it feels like, you know, like a toddler's play toy that makes sounds when you smack it, but it's also a game allegedly and definitely not for kids. Um, and the it's music. Like cardboard like control panel that yeah. you get to like properly whack. Yeah. And like, and the humor is all over the place, but very entertaining. And the, um, and the, like, and the music is again all over the fucking place but kind of amazing like mm. a lot of the time it settles into this like kind of like sort of smooth like um smooth like sort of 20s lounge jazz uh with vocals 
that have nothing to do with the game because all the characters in the game apart from the narrator speak in like a nonsense simlish that is done by the same narrator mm. most of the time apart from the female characters um only the narrator speaks in english but he's obviously shouting at those characters and they respond in these little kind of wibblings and burblings um but then like when you're on the open world it becomes like a western for some reason and then it goes and then occasionally you'll get you know like like rockabilly and kind of everything else in it like it's totally bonkers but kind of lovely like there's you know you come across like one of the early things you have to get rid of some bullies from the beach and the bullies are also like cultists that are dragging people away to serve their dark god and they've killed everyone at the kind of hip 50s themed greece themed like um beach barbecue that they were having and there's a little cutscene at the end of it one of them just drives into the sea and it's not really like remarked on he just takes his little cadillac and drives into the ocean and it's just millions of stuff like that and every scene has that kind of weird humor to it um so it's early access thing is it's very polished but by the chance it's not finished so i think you do hit the end of the story at some point and like only an hour in and i'm I'm probably still have the sort of the glow of discovering that they have made a game i didn't realize they'd made a game so you know the, the that first hour was just the sort of delight of how good they are at, at that thing they do now um i suspect when you know thinking of it with a with a, a soberer kind of mindset i don't think it's quite as good as battle block theater is and the reason for that is because um battle block theater is a very good platformer like it's you know self-contained really ace platform with loads of cool ideas and a kind of great and very clearly expressed kind of collecting mechanic that you're free to ignore um and there's loads of it and you can sort of play it for ages and ages and ages and platformers are just when they're done well they're just super solid whereas if it makes sense to say i don't think this is as good a isometric grid-based turn-based strategy game as um as battlebox theater is a platformer and partly that's because this game obviously had the mission of making everything it do super silly and accessible and use as few button presses as possible yeah and that is a pretty easy thing to do with a platformer and a pretty hard thing to do with turn-based strategy and i think they've given it a really good go like but naturally it's not going to end up feeling as like um kind of uh slick and and kind of easy to kind of go holy shit this is an amazingly well designed game as well as being really funny that said though i do feel still feel like i've got um depth to discover like uh the when it teaches you how to capture people the person it's teaching you to capture is a cupcake a cupcake person which are the healers of the game and they rip icing off themselves and throw it at people at your teammates to heal them but doing so hurt to them and so that's the kind of the game's healing mechanic um and their 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 gear trees and their equipment comes in the form of like new flavors of icing and like a flake that you can jam in the top of them but they look quite miserable about the entire thing because i don't know if they just are uh, but they're weak to poison and the, the poison thing apparently i've only just encountered it is a little mushroom with a gas mask in undies that comes along and farts and he just wanders up to something and farts in an aoe and it's it's funnier than that makes it sound honestly because <laughs> you're not ready for it when it happens but then i you know i realized it's actually a really interesting strategic challenge in like maintaining a kind of phalanx of like a woman uh, like a, a princess armed with a keytar and a piece of pizza uh, around my vulnerable cupcake so that the farty mushroom couldn't get close but i also kind of wanted to capture the farty mushroom because i didn't have a farty mushroom which meant solving the strategic challenge of killing everybody else so that my weird conquistador lady who's armed with a big lollipop could throw a net at him. Um, and that's uh, Pip people, which doesn't really... Oh, one of the characters is called Pip as well. The second character you meet is 
called Princess Pipistrella <laughs> and um and is referred to as Pip and uh, it's very funny. <laughs> it sounds like Adventure Time the video game. Actually Adventure Time is really good touchstone mm. for it. Um I think it is it's an event like the it and Battlebox Theatre and Adventure Time and Adventure Time is obviously amazing. Uh, pull off a kind of yeah they they do the same thing of pulling off a degree of silliness that if it's not executed really well is the most tiresome thing in the entire world but they take it to that level above above where that is it's great i think i don't know it's just very entertaining i think it's okay sometimes like how much is it for this about a tenner i think hmm. um i'll definitely play more of it uh i don't like like I say, as an early access game, I don't want to sort of dive in and say it's perfect yet. And and also, it feels like there could be more flaws to discover than there can be with something like Battle Block Theatre, because a good platformer is a good platformer. I feel yeah. like this is the first time in a long time that we've all left this section wanting to play each other's games. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it doesn't. So it hasn't yet had a song as good as "Buckle Your Pants" from Battle Block Theatre, but that is probably because that is a high fucking bar. <laughs> I don't know if anyone completed Battle Block, but I've it, not heard that yet. No. Oh, you need to listen. To, oh, I'll play it in the no, break. Yeah, you need to listen to Bucky at Pants. It's, it's pretty a good break. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we do questions from questions? Yes. Gang. 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 Mm. Yes. How do you enjoy Buckle the Pants in the break? We definitely didn't just have Tom. Loved it. Great, isn't it? Yeah, delighted. It's going to be in my head for now. Yeah, indeed. It's back in mine. I've forgotten it already. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference between you and I, Pip. <laughs> Memory. Uh. Murray Lane writes, Are publishers overestimating sales for titles, which in turn is damaging future sequels, i.e. Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which is uh, referencing the news that Deus Ex is unlikely to get a sequel and is possibly going back in the Deus Ex box on account of Mankind Divided's uh, mm. disappointing performance. Um and that is possibly interesting, possibly. Um, so interesting, Pip might go all the way to sleep. I'm listening. I was just doing my eyes closed listening so I didn't get distracted. Okay. It's um, <laughs> an amazing excuse, so I need to use that one. Um, on account of the fact that there was a there was a hullabaloo made about around the time of, I think, Mankind Divided's announcement um, that it would be the, the first wave of Deus Ex Universe, hmm. a, a a you know a, a world of tie-in comics and games and games of different sorts, all kind of building out the you know building out Deus Ex into a, an entertainment juggernaut for all the family. Yeah, and that didn't happen. They no. should have sold augmentations. Yeah, that'd have been a better idea. They could have like opened up a weird plastic surgery clinic that just let you incorporate knives in your arms. You know? Well, it's too late for that now, isn't it, Pip? Well, I mean, it's not. They just need to, you know, change their marketing strategy. And, and you know, pointedly, they have gone on to make announce that they're making Avengers games. Mm. So they've, you know, I guess if you if you can't make your own <laughs> vastly unstoppable, you know, successful, unstoppable franchise. Make someone else's. I think you've got to be like someone like Blizzard or Activision. Well, Activision, in fact, sir. So let's do, uh, uh, to like to have I the. I think you've got to be someone like Robson or Jerome. <laughs> uh, Jerome. Wow. I don't know where that's <laughs> what what I, know, I don't know why that's where I went with that. <laughs> of all the, of all the duos, you could have, you could have picked out. <laughs> more successful duos. 
It was Roxanne Look, and Jerome. That's I don't know why, but they, they're a high bar for, <laughs> for aspirational success for me. And this is, I've never admitted that before, let alone in public. <laughs> Unless you're you know, Roxanne and Jerome, you can't launch that kind of... The classic duo, Simon... media juggernaut. Simon and Garfunkel. There you go. John, John and Paul. John and Paul, there we go. John, Paul and that. Mark. John, Paul, Mark and G's. I don't know. Um... Genesis, Luke. Crosby, Seals, Nash and Young. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Elvis and Costello. <laughs> Unless you're one of these, uh, any any one duo of the ones uh, we've mentioned, then it's going to be difficult to launch a kind of multimedia uh, mega franchise. Um, Penn and Teller. <laughs> sure, <laughs> Keenan and Kel. Yeah, that's actually one of my other ones. Yeah, I love Keenan and Kel. Yeah, me too. Keenan's on SNL these days. Chris and Cross. Anyway, <laughs> uh, what's question? I can't remember. It was Deus Ex Universe. Yeah, it was the original question was like, are people overestimating? And we can't really answer that because we don't know what the company's estimates are or the precise sales. <laughs> so we can't really judge. Though. I think they, I think Squeenix were quite public about what they expected Tomb Raider to do and mm. were publicly said it didn't do enough. Uh, but they made a sequel for that anyway. But obviously with the signing of a massive deal with Marvel to hop on board an already extremely popular uh, universe, it makes sense that they would shelve Deus Ex in favour yeah. of pursuing that. But it felt like um, Human Revolution was... A surprising success. They didn't expect, you know, immersive sim to come along and do quite that well. And then the, um, and then maybe it was incorrect to go, well, well, I guess this was a surprising success. I suppose this will sustain an entire universe of fiction rather than we should make another one and set expectations that it'll do about the same. But, uh, you know, as, as you say, we can't speak to exactly what those expectations were, but I do think they were maybe a little bit ambitious with what they thought or they were, you know, what they publicly were saying. They thought Deus Ex could do. But I suppose if, like, given Deus Ex, whatever the one was, Human Revolution, that was really popular. Yeah. Well, surprisingly popular would be the way I'd put it. Yeah. But, I mean, I think given the amount of investment that fans had in that particular universe, I think it was on a par with other games where they have become franchises or they have become mm-hmm. sort of juggernauts but i think it was that odd thing of the world within that game being rich enough to sustain it for exactly that game if mm-hmm. you see what i mean or you know the sort of the the involvement that people had wasn't necessarily in the franchise it was just in that in that world in that particular edition of that world as well and so i think you could have read it the other way and Mm. sort of read it as you know oh this is totally a successful like concept or you know what maybe it turned out to be was this was a very successful self-contained thing Mm. that we can't string out further yeah didn't necessarily help that mankind divided felt like a reduced scope game even compared to Human Revolution because they only had the one hub and because the story was so dysfunctional and because, uh, you know, I don't know, it just felt like it wasn't as good and polished a game as Human Revolution. If you're trying to launch an entire kind of multi-thing juggernaut off it, then it's got to be a pretty premium thing at the centre of it. Yeah, and possibly also it didn't didn't benefit from that... um, 
the kind of the wave of enthusiasm that accompanied Human Revolution simply because it was Deus Ex and it was good. Hmm. And that, you know, Deus Ex, by, even by that point, had become one of the kind of holy grails of of PC games, particularly along with um, Half-Life and, and, you know, essentially very very few games in that in the echelon of, of all-time greatness. Yeah, but they and, tried with Thief as well and that didn't go so... Yeah, so but I, I don't think Thief ever occupied the same mind space for a lot of people. I think Thief is beloved and yeah. worthy. certain so. levels of it are. Yeah, like the they cradle. are sort of yeah. held mm. up as you know, these paragons in gaming. But I think that as a whole product, they don't have the same um, status. Yeah. Like Deus Ex had the kind of name that people would know even if they'd never played it. You know, it would always stand up as this kind of thing. And then, you know, it was also infamous for having had a sequel that people didn't like. So kind of like the no- the, the narrative, Deus Ex is back and they've done a good one. Yeah. Is a pretty powerful thing. Um, whereas... Um, the sequel to that game is just going to be like, well, do it again, you know? And if it's not quite as good, then no one cares again, you know? It goes back to just being this, uh, you know, Is there curio. an Adam Jensen Funko Pop figure? Yes. Is there really? Of course there is. <laughs> there's, a, there's a Funko Pop figure for every human being on planet Earth and every idea they've ever had, and they all look exactly the fucking same. Mm. Mm. I made myself angry now. So what we're ultimately saying is that they should have gone PGA and Duncan to make this and it would have ultimately turned out to be... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to be... I still can't believe Robson and Jerome was the one on the tip of <laughs> all, your tongue. All, all three of them, PJ and Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> PBJ and, Bun- and Duncan. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to live that down, am I? Not really. It's one of my favourite things about Game of Thrones <laughs> yeah, that Ron is Robson or Jerome. I can never remember which one he is. Jerome. I think he's Jerome. He's the one I always thought would become a killer. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Was it their real names? Hang on. Because they were actually from that, like, 1940s show, weren't they? Or, like, that show that was set in the past, right? And then, like, they had real names as actors, and then they released singles together as, like, Robson and Jerome, but I can't remember whether that was their real names or that was their actor names because PJ and Duncan obviously were actually mm. Ant and Deck. <laughs> this is a whole separate podcast. I'll be honest, like Sorry, delving yeah. back into the great duos of the 1990s. Yeah. yeah. I think their names might just be Rob and Jerome. It's all Robbo Robson and Jezza. Green and hang on. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's do another question. Let's do a different question. That's not that question. Cause you know the answer to that question. Analog Hands writes, what game has the best city in it? Bonus points if it's set at night. Can't think of a good night city. I I mean, it's a cop-out answer, basically, but GTA V kind of wins this every time, right? Yeah, the city's, it's, the city's amazing, but I think in terms of, like... Uh... It's amazing at night. It's amazing in the rain. It's yeah. amazing in the first person. It's <laughs> yeah. amazing in third person. You can fly a little plane. As a feeling of kind of walking through a populated place, it's amazing. But in terms of the depth of interaction you can have with it compared to something like Baldur's Gate, I don't think it... Okay, yeah, that's that's has... a fucking comparison that we're not going to be able to fully leverage every extent no, of. No, that, that's very true. Um, yes, okay. If, so it's we're going between, Los, we're going between Los Santos and Am. Am? Uh, uh, Am. Am. <laughs> <laughs> Why did they call a city that? 
There's um, there's a game that I'm trying to think of now. You know, um, I think therefore I'm in um. <laughs> God. Oh god, it's really hard to say, and that sounds stupid. I um, never realised that is that is a thing that didn't occur to me in years of reading that word. Arm, maybe is it arm? Pronounced. No, I don't know. It's maybe, am I just being too too northern about that? I don't know. Um, it's like bath and bath. Um, arm. Anyway, uh, shadows of am. <laughs> <laughs> Ham and pickle sandwich. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't think we're going to get any questions answered in this session. Uh, probably not. I don't know why that's so funny. I don't know why <laughs> I've never, I never no. said that out loud before. Um. Or tried to. They must say it in a cutscene. I've just not picked up on how you pronounce it. I don't know. I guess most of those games were just text, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Which is, they got away with a lot, apparently. Exactly. You can call the game Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Am. <laughs> Baldy Gate Shadows of Am. <laughs> <laughs> this is why fantasy used to be written down it's when they started reading it out that it all went wrong that's, that's the only reason game of thrones is popular you can read that shit aloud because i can't bail bail's fine you know was it ball was it ball fuck balls it's ba- ba- balls balders ba- ba- bales oh, it's supposed to be bail isn't it yeah bail's back yeah yeah Throne of Bale. Any ideas? Shadow of Am. <laughs> we're, just, we're just treading water here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a game that I've been trying to remember the name of while you figured that out, but it hasn't really come to me. It's um, Alice and I did a piece about it as a walking simulator, and it's set in a city at night. And But the city is kind of one of those massive tower block type cities of the future with oh, right. like hover cars outside and you know things like that. And a big um walkway across the middle and it actually sort of manages to do this weird cd kind of maze like um vertical skyscrapery city dwelling really well even though it's really lo-fi and i'm really just i know so what you mean and i can't remember what it's called either we've talked about it in the podcast before though Mm, and like, I think Graham might have spoken about it once. <laughs> gloriously waggly hands and things mm. in your in your view as first person. Um, so I think that is really good, and also just for like driving at night. Um, my fondest memory is GT three, like Gran Turismo three. But mm. I'm not sure if we're allowed to mention that, given it's a filthy, filthy console game. That's fine. But some of the cities in like in that like rainy nighttime tracks was amazing nice mm. so so beautiful i mean there is maybe trying to go back to this without being a minefield again there is an argument to be made for the great old rpg cities <laughs> like baldur's gate um yeah i think they could they given the format and people's expectations they're allowed to be a lot more evocative than a modern city Mm. normally can be because the amount of resources required to create a believable city environment these days is just incredible compared to what was yeah. available then um, having lots of stories buried away in a, in a big place thing, is, yeah. is the key thing there i think just going into a, a big city in the bold skate game and then going into a basement and finding a secret door that led to a secret fighting pit mm. i mean that kind of it felt like any building could hide that sort of secret in those games yeah whereas these days not so much like GTA. No. It's an extraordinary piece of kind of observational realist 
recreation in terms mm. of you know t- translating a real place into a virtual environment and it's, it is astonishing but it's no am but it's an it am <laughs> it just ain't am it ain't am I, <laughs> <laughs> I hope that answers your question uh-huh. uh takuna writes dear creighton crow bar which is a pun written down but not read out uh and i can't be bothered to explain it but that's obviously a pitfall you fall into. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> if that is the way you format uh, your pun. Uh, over the years, I've been repeatedly disappointed by side quests in games where they're just used to fluff out the player experience and gate off loot or XP under a guise of story. When I got first got into online gaming, it was via RuneScape way back in 2001. The very first quest wasn't re- especially interesting. A fetch quest for cake ingredients. But they rapidly became more interesting as the developers started to explore their writing ability. Whenever a new quest was released, it was a big deal. It would be announced on the front page and people would look forward to learning a little bit more about the world and the characters in it. As well, as, as well of course, as learn, earning some new loot or feature. It went a huge way to making the world feel real. Fast forward to now and I've yet to experience a game where that much care was taken to tell the stories of quote-unquote everybody else. Even Bioware RPGs focus too much, I feel, on telling stories about people dealing with the circumstances surrounding whatever the central plot is dealing with. Although there are some exceptions to this, such as the, the quests surrounding the Quarry and Geth situation in Mass Effect. Perhaps other Bioware series do this better, since I've only played the Mass Effect series and part of Dragon Age Origins, um, uh, which I felt was pretty poor for telling you anything interesting or interestingly outside the main story. That's incorrect, by the way, but we'll move on. Um, so what I'd like to know is, in your own questing throughout the world of gaming, have you encountered any games where the side quests are really the meat of the game, or where they weren't specifically trying to tie into the central narrative? Bonus points if it was an MMO, since I've basically just given up on them now. Takuna. Oblivion. All Elder Scrolls games. Because Oblivion's central quest line was bobbins. So was Skyrim's. <laughs> I don't know why this is a musical, but it's I so big. But essentially it was like, okay, so Martin's doing something. Dragons are probably involved. Fuck that. Uh, let's talk about the Dark Brotherhood. Martin's phoning it in is what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, you know, nice enough. But I mean are you really that bothered let's go and do something else you know let's go and figure out like a murder plot let's go and do Mm. other things let's go like learn a trade or you know mess around with some yarl small holding or you know know (laughs) it's a boring day in the citadel (laughs) when when just any old yarl small holding will do What's what I mean, like, you I think know, you're getting Skyrim mixed up with yeah, Oblivion. Yeah, I mean, well. I'm not really paying attention to which of their games I'm talking about no. because ultimately, does it really matter? Not at all. <laughs> Especially given that I think people are even trying to recreate Oblivion in Skyrim. It's like, okay, sure. Um, so, but the the point of those games in general was never the main quest. The main mm. quest was always blah blah dragon bobbins chosen one something something Mm. and the rest of it was like you'd get these really neat pieces of writing or you'd be able to like flesh out your own story like i became the the head wizard and you know the this amazing stealthy sneaky thief and murderer for money you know it was like i just had a nice time like trampling around and giving the Daedric Prince is a good scene too. That's really not how I wanted that sentence to go either. Um, <laughs> so you've been frequenting those Skyrim mod communities. But you know what I mean? It was always like, it was never the main quest that 
that fleshed out the world yeah, or the characters, you know. It's always been my experience with Elder Scrolls games, is that yeah. going off the beaten track and sort of forging your own life is, is the way to do it. Yeah, at some point someone will be like, are you planning on dealing <coughs> with these dragons or this thing? And you'd be like, uh. Tired. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I don't really want to. <laughs> I mean, I was off to the shivering to aisles. <laughs> Just, you know, things. Dark Elf gave me a fetch quest. I want to find land. more Nern root. Yeah. <laughs> I need Tommy to had kill a, me a, a another... crab. Oh yeah, The Witcher 3 is a great example of this. Mm. Where when you get into a side quest in The Witcher 3, it could be anything from... Uh, a grumpy dwarf has his, you know, forge burnt down. And there's a little murder mystery. One well, murder mystery. Um, for- you can't murder a forge. You can't murder a forge. And, and, and someone's in it. It's like arson <laughs> mystery, yes. Uh, up to like a, an entire just curse that needs to be unbound. A gener- like intergenerational curse that needs to be sorted out. Mm. Probably dig up some bones, probably kill a ghost or something. But it has nothing to do with the main quest is the main, the main point. It's just uh, every little side quest you do sort of fleshes out the texture of the world as mm. this kind of place it just... <laughs> you're doing the most amazing gesture right now yeah. <laughs> you're stroking an imaginary cat I, I, thought yeah. you, I thought you were playing a really curvy keyboard solo yeah just a kind of wiggly <laughs> finger just I don't know how, just the kind of thing everywhere is steeped in just magic and time and just all the stories evolve like generations of people like it's, it's about you know this has been a problem for a hundred years, or this has been a curse that's passed down from um, father to son, uh, or this has afflicted our entire civilization for the last mm. thirty years. Like it always feels like there there is this huge kind of every everything is affected by myth in that world. Mm. Everything is affected by magic and darkness, uh, and every side quest is you're unbinding a little bit of that, even though it's nothing to do with the main quest itself. Very, very beautiful way they structure those quests. Mm. That sounds good. Mm, lovely. Mm-hmm. You'd also get it with things like, um, like eighty days to an extent. You know, like the the meat of it. Yeah, that's is basically all yeah. side quest, right? Yeah, yeah in the little cool. things. Like you've obviously got the overarching point of the journey, and you know you can decide to do it in a certain amount of time, or that you want to try and do it as quickly as possible. But otherwise, it's just like you know you can faff or you can go in circles or you can pick to be a particular kind of valet to um to fog and you can you know you just um it is entirely built from the meat of those side quests almost yeah absolutely yeah Hmm. yeah good answers back on track yep back on track (laughs) nice uh a person on the internet writes I'm going to sneeze. He doesn't write that. But it's true. Or is it? Damn. I guess it wasn't. People patreon this. <laughs> Personal internet writes, Dear Crate and Crowboss, an evil wizard, another one, totally different from last year, despite looking practically identical except for a stick-on moustache, has resurrected the last enemy, character, monster or boss that you've killed. And now they're your boss. Who or what would that be? And how will this affect your day-to-day work life? Thanks for reading and thanks for the brilliant pods, etc., etc. You're all rad. Cheers, a person on the internet. So, the... hmm. The last thing I killed in a game was a 
sort of metaphysical echo of myself. Tough boss. And I need, <laughs> yeah. But in many ways, isn't that all of our real boss? <laughs> That's freelance for you. Yeah. What <laughs> game is this? Uh, I can't say. Oh. <laughs> The last, the last thing I killed, but the last thing I killed in a, um, not embargoed, in a non embargoed <laughs> game, um, was that farty little mushroom fella from Pit People. Hmm. He's a happy, flatulent little mushroom headed weirdo. But you've worked with Marsh before. That's sorry. exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I was building up to it, but you landed it. Uh... <laughs> I don't need, oh. Uh, apologies, uh, apologies, Marsh. Uh, I love you. Obviously. Yeah, we all, we all ever miss him. Um, but <laughs> nice. I... <laughs> High five. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> God. Tom. Uh, the last thing I killed was in, um, the North Boss in Hyperlight Drifter. Um, which I killed on, like, Monday, Monday, I believe. It's, it's weird being kind of the game journalist when you say, I killed this on Monday and I <laughs> killed that on Tuesday, but, um. And it chilled on Sunday. <laughs> I, I, uh, I took out this boss and it was like a, basically a 15 foot tall crow monster, uh, with magic abilities to set squares on fire. Right. Well, in, in the floor. So if that was to affect my working conditions, um, the office would have to be a grid based environment in which the carpet, whenever he stamped his staff down, would, catch fire and i would have to uh dodge magically dodge very quickly while updating the website uh <laughs> intermittently occasionally landing blows on him with a keyboard or whatever was to hand uh, and that would be my day-to-day life hmm. i am really struggling with what i might have played that involved killing anything <laughs> Because I have played a fair bit of, like, console-related stuff, like, um, sorry, mobile. So it might have been, like, a Clash of Clans enemy, but given this is PC, uh, I played a an underwater hidden object adventure, but everyone was undead in that, so hmm. um, that's not helpful either. <laughs> what is dead can never, might never die or something. Mm. Well, indeed. Um, and so I don't think that i try to think like stuff died in house of many doors but i can't remember which bits i had specific agency over because mm. so if it's about... just like a little minion on a ship then it's like i don't know he could be anyone mm. like uh, <laughs> anyone in the world what's the, what's the last thing in the game you remember killing at all if not even recently the first there must be something that might spring to mind um i mean i've killed i think i killed some hang on no there aren't any <laughs> a plant in astroneer killed that <laughs> um what did it ever do to you pip those, it was spitting poison at me. No, that's legit. Mm, no, that's pretty yeah. response. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe I'll go with the skeleton from <laughs> from Clash of Clans. Then we could just hang out. It would just lie this. there and let you do whatever the hell you wanted. It's the best boss ever. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Tom Senior. <laughs> oh, no, that, hor- that sounded horrible. <laughs> well, I mean, they wouldn't check your work or look at what you've been doing. <laughs> the skeleton's in... 
and Clash of Clans come as a big group as that's, well. That's not so. professional. Like, <laughs> so you'd have a really busy office. I'm saying the oversight <laughs> a skeleton could deliver in a professional working environment would be extremely limited on account of having no eyes and terrible posture. <laughs> This question section. Been, I don't know what's happened. I don't. I don't. <laughs> we should not do. We should not do beer in podcasts. Maybe that's what's gone wrong. A couple of weeks of wine in a row have completely taken our edge off or put it back on. I can't really tell what. We can't do AL anymore. Apparently not. <laughs> that's enough of that question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I killed a fish in Subnautica. Oh shit. But then, because then if that was my boss, then they wouldn't be able to send me emails. <laughs> so that would be all right. <laughs> I'd just be like, what are you going to do about it? It would forget everything <laughs> you've done two email. seconds later and keep asking you mm. for, for work. Yeah, exactly. It'd be Oh, oh no, because that would be worse. That would just be like, it you'd never get to the end of a meeting. Yeah. You'd be like, any other business? Oh, I've been no. In, I've been any in, other business? Yeah, I know that's, no. I know that feeling. I've been in meetings and many. <laughs> yeah, quite some. <laughs> Dan writes... Dear Cat and Bugbear, while listening to a previous episode of your fine pod, I was shocked to discover that Chris hates co-op. We're all entitled to our own opinions, of course, personally. I think co-op is great. Co-op gaming is the reason my brother and I are still close friends, even now in our mid-thirties. Can I just say, though, it's not entirely that you hate co-op, it's also that I hate co-op with you. Yes, that's a fair (laughs) counterpart to that point. Over the years, we've tried many many a co-op shooter, but it feels less and less like we're enjoying ourselves. Our favourite co-op experience as uh, students in our 20s involved loading up Sharky Peninsula in Battlefield 2, throwing some bots, throwing in some bots and fighting our way to the helicopter. Then we'd fly around raining hot death from the skies until some asshole hit us with an RPG. I know Battlefield 2 is not necessarily a co-op game. We turned it into one because back in the day, you could host your own server over a LAN and mod it with bots. I wish more shooter games today still allowed for that kind of thing. The game is a set of tools encourage, to encourage playing it your own way rather than a prepackaged experience. I know we can't roll back the clock to those heady days of dedicated servers and Mountain Dew, but are there any games you can think of that welcome this more open-ended approach to playing together? If you could fix co-op in modern shooter games, what would you do? Thanks to the great pod, Dan. I would say that kind of co-op, the sort of titting about making your own rules in an open-world co-op, I do like. However, the kind of co-op I don't like and I don't blame anyone for not enjoying, with me, is, like, let's play through a campaign together, or particularly anything that involves reading. Oh, God. So, Borderlands, Pillars of Eternity, not Pillars of Eternity, Divinity Original Sin. Um, Diablo 3. Diablo 3 is fine, but the no. Diablo requires both players to want to play it the same way. Yes. Like, Tom and I could play co-op Diablo, that'd be fine. You don't know that. We have. We played uh, through the entire campaign no, twice. Oh, for fuck's yeah. sake. Why don't you just marry Tom? <laughs> That's not, like, well, no. It's not a precondition for marriage, is no, it? No, it isn't. It's like, it's, to sift through because honestly... I think it's on the list. You know, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> if, my, if, my, if my checklist for, you know, um, respective partners ended at someone I can play through all the way through... Um, Pardon? <laughs> what? Someone I can play th- all, all the way through Diablo with, <laughs> okay. then I, uh, you know, the old nerd flat would have ended up as very happy matrimony exactly but unfortunately 
life goes further than that. Yeah, apparently there are other factors. I said it was one of a few things, but you just seemed so smug about it. (laughs) It's like, it's hardly my failing that you won't, like, let anybody do anything in a way that you don't enjoy. That's... Blimey. Wow. <laughs> I really wanted to sometimes just head left. It was always what like if left there's nothing there. Efficient. Look, I get it. I'm... You don't. You didn't. I wasn't ever allowed to go left. We have a question later about grudges, eternal oh, grudges. Fine. Well, you know, I've genuinely considered, this is a thing for another podcast, but taking one of those old Warhammer models, which is just like the Dwarf King on his grudge throne. And making that your character for all future games. Because you never forget. You know, that would be on the list as well. Yeah, the I time know. you did that. The recursive grudge throne is an issue that, you know, we'll all have to deal with. Anyway, on to the question at hand. So while I do, you know, while I'm apparently an awful shit to play co-op games with, I do like this kind of co-op. And we actually mm. um, we played some Armour 3 Apex this week, which has its silly Zeus mode where one player is God. And we'll, we've done this for a, an upcoming magazine feature, so I guess we shouldn't spoil too much about what happened or what we did. Didn't you do that before as well? We did, but Andy this is, God. he was again this time, but um, different take on it, different set of things. Hmm. Um, I enjoyed it more, um, I think. But um, I think if you liked playing Battlefield that way back in the day, the armor games are a, a one area where that has definitely survived that mindset. Yeah, we had so much fun <laughs> um and because armor has kind of loosened up particularly with its dlc editions you can drop like go-karts and jet bikes into that world and jet the, skis jet skis yeah. of course um and the world is just kind of it's designed as uh, to be a very gritty uh complicated and authentic military shooter so all of the kind of core interactions with it are really quite solid and enjoyable and it's a very fun place to race go-karts around in knowing that it has this kind of militaristic heritage yeah particularly knowing that you're kind of subverting it yeah it becomes funnier that you're having a roly-poly competition while at serious war yeah while you're all dressed in like (coughs) probably accurately modeled combat fatigues yeah with night vision goggles and all of that stuff occasionally barking your grid position (laughs) yeah yeah uh, but we, we had an amazing time in that and that seems to have retained the spirit of a kind of private server mentality where you just password it and then everyone jumps in let someone be Zeus and just have a good time yeah and you can create AI you can create your own little missions you can yeah. play it seriously if you want you can create your own little challenges and, and that kind of thing very cool game yeah very cool game and I think fulfills all the criteria of that that question although i do agree that it would be nice to have just open play modes in games that have become Mm. increasingly services ian writes dear large block and smaller block i recently read a boy made of blocks a novel by games journalist keith stewart it is an excellent read that has minecraft at its core but it's not about the game per se rather a dad's relationship with his autistic son they're bonding through the game is central to the narrative, but it'd be wrong to call it a games book. My question is, what's your favourite work of fiction that riffs on gaming, or even an actual game, but it's not explicitly about our hobby? Thanks for reading, everybody. Ian. Well, first up, that's a, you know, a nice thing to say about Keith's book. I've not actually read it. But, you know, I'm glad people are enjoying it. Richard and or Judy enjoyed it. Oh, good. Mm. One of those other great duos. Hmm. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> 
was that? That was a very strange. That, I that d- was, doubt the microphone. That was a that was a copy of Windows Seven Sorry. rubbing up against the top of the drawer you were opening with your foot. Sorry, I'll I'll try and be a bit less mobile. <laughs> I think if you enjoy video games, uh, it's not a game book, but it's called The Player of Games by Ian M. Banks. That's a very good book. A science fiction novel about um, a society that basically where the hierarchy is decided based on people's ability to play a kind of the ultimate game about Dota. Which <laughs> <laughs> could be Dota or... <laughs> Actually, it's weird. I, I love that book, but really, mm. again, it, uh, you know, there's obviously it tries to use a mechanism of a board game to try and explain what it's doing yeah, yeah. with like lots of different types of strategy and different parts of a crazy board. But reading it and thinking Dota changes the way you see that completely because <laughs> yeah. it actually kind of fits. Like uh, it feels like there wasn't a game complicated enough at the time the book was written. Mm. <clears throat> but you could feel uh, Inbacks kind of reaching for it. Yeah. So the idea of this a system, <clears throat> the system that could contain within it uh, the intricacies of uh, human behavior and politics, but also the resource game of like the the politics meta yeah. and the, the the social control meta and stuff that, you know, it, it, it's the ultimate, it's the game of life, basically, yeah. just on a board. Yeah, Dota. <laughs> Dota, <laughs> Wizards. Well, yeah, obviously the it's, you know, the game, uh, uh-huh. but um, I was on the opposite end of the spectrum from that. The I think my favourite book that's explicitly about video games I've ever read was a game I loved as a child, which is Only You Can Save Mankind by Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. um, which... Is obviously a, a children's book for children, but because uh, I've never read like I've never read Ready Player One or anything like that, but it sounds very similar. Um, which is just about a kid who discovers that his favorite video game is actually, um, you know, simulator training for an actual cosmic space war that's happening, <clears throat> and he gets to fly off and. You put his skills to real use, which is essentially the formative fantasy of my y- in my game, childhood, but without the uh, it is you know, yeah the brutal child on child combat yeah <laughs> that game has that game book has yeah game book <laughs> yes indeed yeah so that that I think is probably the most I've ever been entertained by a, a book that was about games but not about games hmm. Pip I have absolutely no interest in fiction that brings in games because the stuff that i have tried has been so bad at it Mm. and also i just feel like it's not something that particularly interests me like video games interest me but sort of the riffs that generally exist out there i mean like that's not to sort of throw shade on anyone else's work because you know i haven't read the vast majority of it it's just that it's a strand of fiction that doesn't really appeal but as non-fiction um i'm actually reading uh john peterson's playing at the world which is about the history of dungeons and dragons and putting that in the context of wargaming clubs and sort of wider culture um and that is fascinating so far and i'd uh, so i'm sort of far more interested in in that and sort of how it positions human nature within that narrative i guess and Mm. how complicated it gets because of you know the the relationships between the the main protagonists i guess in that story and sort of how that changed over time and the subjectivity of (laughs) the stuff that was subsequently reported and Mm. you know so there's a lot of human interest and drama within that but i'm 
yeah, like that's the sort of thing that I would gravitate towards in terms of books and video games rather than like um, the the fictional sort of treatment. Hmm. Fair enough. Finally, Seven Proxies writes, in the podcast re-nudity dogs and the level thereof, which was last week's, you reminded me that there was a Mass Effect the third. I immediately experienced a feeling of low-key annoyance as I recalled space ghost children telling me about how hundreds of hours of quite excellent space opera was actually about the inevitability of conflict between organic and synthetic life. It has been actually five years since the game came out, so I suppose as my life ends, <laughs> my last thought will be they just took a stock image off the internet and gave it to the intern to Photoshop the bastards, which is, I think, referring to a different thing from Mass Effect 3. Uh, apropos of my experience, what petty game-related grievance will you carry to the grave? I don't hold game-related grievances. <laughs> Now that it takes the high ground there, what we in the business call a lie. <laughs> Apart from every single fucking time that you got play of the game off the back of my Zarya ults, there it is. Yeah, yeah. This is why we. This is why the co-op never works, Pip. Um, because what? Because I, you swoop in and steal all the glory, and then tell everyone that you did an amazing thing. And I don't tell everyone I did an amazing thing on the internet. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> it's because it's because. Apparently, I'm terrible to play things with, and you're powerfully resentful of that fact. I mean, can't it be both? <laughs> it is both. Um, I mean, admittedly, I felt genuinely bad about that play of the game because it was so obviously unearned. Both of them, in fact. All three of them. Um, <laughs> but you will play Zarya. You know? I just, it just seems so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how powerful a driver would you say, um, you know, for you the phrase where's my fucking medal is <laughs> well i mean we won't know until it arrives will we <laughs> no, indeed <laughs> whether all of my motivation suddenly dries up <laughs> how many of your game related grievances would you say stem from the phrase where's my fucking medal i do feel that i'm underappreciated most of the time indeed <laughs> a key player in many dota teams yeah making the big plays this is what it comes it? down to isn't it yeah i mean you know a broader issue with games not feeding out medals for pip and i don't think it's even like not rewarding support player or or control player or anything like that i think it just, they just don't reward pip mm, yeah i think i um obviously got it as a kind of joke reply but i did take it up with the paladin's lead developer rory <laughs> yeah. about this because it was like look I I booted up the game. I'm actually familiar with the game. I played the game, and Chris didn't even have a UI because that it had was the most out. amazing. I got seven kills in a row, and Chris still got play I of got, the game. I got play of the game. I don't know. Do we tell the story on the podcast before? I don't think we did. I was so upset. Like <laughs> I was actually incandescent with you rage. Were, it was so funny. <laughs> it, so we we the, uh, it was my second game of Paladins ever, and it bugged out. So I had so no UI whatsoever, which meant I couldn't use the upgrade system. I couldn't pick cards. I didn't know what my character did because I couldn't read any of the interface. So I had to press the buttons. and I'd I ask was Pip telling you what it yeah, did. I had to, you had to tell me what the buttons were and I had to remember. I was playing the dragon guy who's, who's a lot like far. He could fly. I didn't realize he could fly because I didn't think to hold down the space bar to see if that would work. And um, And it bugged out so much that when it came to show 
the play of the game or the MVP, whatever it is in Paladins. My screen went completely black, so I couldn't see that it was me. I just heard from the other room, <laughs> Pip go, nah! This is a wordless <laughs> scream of rage and indignation, completely justified. Actually, no, you heard me say, for fuck's sake. Yeah, and I knew immediately what had happened. <laughs> and stamp my foot. Yeah, I remember the noise, I think. It's a noise. Um, <laughs> but because I don't really have any like small grievances with games in that way, but that's apparently because I live the most blessed. <laughs> well, you just sail <laughs> they fall life, over life, yeah. just like shitting on other people's dreams, don't you? <laughs> This has gotten a bit real for me, Pip, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was so angry about that. I was still angry about three hours later when it was bedtime. And I was like, just too angry. <laughs> too angry to sleep. Brush my teeth really crossly. <laughs> Thinking about it. Just, oh. <sighs> it was very funny. Very funny. Totally undeserved. I think because you laugh about it as well. You're just like, huh, remember the time when? So it's not even like <laughs> I'm trying to remember. You're there rubbing my face There's in Chris it. on his throne made of medals. <laughs> exactly. The world me just can't stop giving me medals. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. I can see why no one likes playing games with me now, really. That makes obvious. a lot of sense. Yeah. And also, you make everyone watch you sometimes. You're like, oh, look at this. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to do something Mom, mom, cool. look, watch look, this. look. Watch this. Watch this. Look. Are you watching? You're not looking. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. Anything I could say about games now would be, would be petty. No, go itself. on then. I don't know. I, <laughs> I've got nothing else. I mean, apparently my life is, is just all of Pip's medals. <laughs> Tom, what's your pettiest game grievance? I don't know. I don't really take grievances away from uh, games themselves. If they annoy me, I just tend to stop. Mm. It's very energizing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it a source of. It's the dark side, is what you're describing. Essentially, mm. just use use that negativity as a fuel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 ling- lingering negative interactions I have with games come purely from strangers in games um, when I'm playing, and you know. Someone's being a dick in the game. Like I really struggle to let it go <laughs> immediately, as I just should. I'm just like, oh, you know, they're just being a dick. People are dicks. That's fine. That's just the way things are. Mm. Um, but if, uh, if someone makes like a, a shitty comment, like I can't just shed that. I'm just like, actually, fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of start, you know, coming up with replies, and it's just the whole spirit of the staircase, you know, yeah. uh, sort of thing kicks in. Uh, which I, and I understand even as it's happening that God, it's just a dumb game. Just don't worry about it, man. But because I just obsess over it for like twenty minutes after it's happened, I just <laughs> can't. I have to avoid that sort of situation in games completely. Um, and basically, I just uh, just avoid strangers as much as possible. Uh, whenever I have like a, a really positive experience with a stranger, it's now such a delight and surprise as has happened in Destiny and mm. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, that has some just really super helpful, lovely, patient people uh, help us out in Destiny. And, you know, it's just been lovely. Uh, just, oh, yeah, people are cool. Uh, but then if you go to certain communities, you just have a totally shitty experience. That just stays with me for, like, 45 minutes after the I've closed the game down. And I know that's kind of partly me just not having the ability to just let it go. Mm. But at the same time, those grievances ruin those games completely for me. Like, and there's nothing that's... That's fine. Just don't play those games anymore. I remember <laughs> when I was, yeah, when I was super early in like my playing of League of Legends, like I'd only just started. I like I had a legit like level one account kind mm. of thing, um, and I just didn't 
know any better about like who should be taking what buffs or whatever in um in the jungle camps it was like i thought i was helping when people were going over to kill things and you know i didn't realize that like taking the last shot on a thing was a big deal and you know all of that stuff but it turned out that like the four people I think that I was being teamed up with were all on like Smurf accounts, and they were really mad at me that me, a legit level one player, didn't <laughs> know what I was doing, and they were just like reported for like not knowing what you're doing, and I was just like, well, I mean, uh, yes, <laughs> like surely, um, but yeah, like, and apparently they have better systems now that like are quite good at like sensing, hmm. you know, by how people are playing and you know, whatever they're doing, that it's probably a smurf and matching them against other smurfs. But yeah, like that was that was an experience that has clearly stuck with me. Like that feeling of, why are you being such dicks? I'm a noob. Yeah. <laughs> You're here to stomp noobs. <laughs> like, you know, just because you've got one on your team by accident. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. Q is a five stack smurf. <laughs> God. <laughs> I can't think because the notion that this would be a grievance that would continue to annoy me when I remembered it for the rest of my life. I can completely buy that with <laughs> with everything you've said, Pip. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't think you I have, have things like um, I know that you have people that you don't like playing with. So yeah, that's kind of it's not really a that grievance. goes beyond grievance. I'll take to my grave though, because <laughs> that makes me sound like I'm gonna. It's m- yeah, <laughs> like but it's them. more like lesson that you have learned that you will carry on having. Yeah, until you die. <laughs> that's more like yeah, that's more like interpersonal stuff. There is, um, there is stuff that will always annoy me in these communities. Um, although less so now, I think. Um, it's rare that someone in a video game gets under my skin, really. Mm. Um, I, it feels like that's an exposure thing, isn't it? Like the more it is. It's it, funny. The more that, that's something but... that I thought we might... Or maybe we'll end up discussing this on the miniatures thing we've been doing because actually I found that uh, games have given me a thick skin for abuse, uh, as you'd expect from someone who's played Dota for any length of time. Um, and I don't really mind. And actually I've, I've enjoyed dipping back into Overwatch recently and playing ranked because occasionally you get the game where your entire team is made up of, well, not your entire team, the entire speaking proportion of your team is made up of, of what are you doing? What? <laughs> Sorry. What? <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> you're just doing a face. It was funny. Oh. Um, well, you're, you're the speaking proportion of your team is made up of serious, um, serious but earnest and well-meaning Scandinavian gentlemen. Um, and I really enjoy that. I don't know why. There's just the sort of like, you know, hey guys, we're going to do this. You know, can you switch to Reinhardt? And you're like, okay. Yeah, I'll do what I'm told. And that's actually quite entertaining now. When you occasionally get the asshole, I can kind of completely absorb it. Um, Are you saying that you like it when strange Scandinavian men on the internet tell you what to do in a masterful way? A little bit. Uh huh. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, they can't, you know. I'm just going to own that. We're talking about grudges, not about things that... I'm taking that into my grave. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, so the, but that's what I mean, is that I don't tend to then acquire those kind of like real disappointments or grievances or, or, or whatever now in video games because I could I'd, I'd sort of feel ready for it. However, I definitely started getting to the point where someone having a bad attitude or behaving badly in a real life games situation, like the miniature stuff that I do now, that can actually ruin my mood. And I don't, I wouldn't say go as far as to say that that will, that is again, something that I'll take to my grave because I, I, um, I hope to take nothing to my grave except 
my, a skeleton. You can't take it with you. Sadness, exactly. but hurrah for Chris's <laughs> Exactly. Um, but yeah, like, have, given how much that can irritate me in real life, and nothing in video games can even come close to that now. So I just don't really foster those kinds of grievances. And to return to the kind of grievances of, of the question asker, I'm so fucking forgiving of writing teams on video games, mm-hmm. to a fault, I suspect, that even though I would, I would say that the, the dodgy Photoshop bit of Mass Effect 3 is actually bullshit and I wouldn't defend them on that. I was one of the earliest people to defend Mass Effect 3's ending. So apparently I'm just not the type of person to keep thinking back on a series and go, oh, why did you do that? <laughs> I had an ex who used to get really, like, angry about the AI in an online backgammon game. He like, sounds great. Sorry. It was just no. That wasn't to be a dick to him. It was just one of those things that, like, to like, he ended up taking really personally because I think that it was like a game that, when it went well, it was really like, like cathartic and stuff. But because obviously it's based on dice and you know all of that kind of kerfuffle, and that the AI, I think, with particular difficulties, would would be kind of unfair, and so. Mm. I think there was a certain amount of just, this is bullshit! And then because it happened over a sustained period of time, I think it sort of ended up building the AI into a kind of (laughs) nemesis and a force that was sort of actively trying to make his life worse. Like (laughs) AlphaGo. But you know what I mean? Like, I think that you can just Mm. sort of, these things over time, yeah, yeah, like they take on their own little sort of dickish quirks. Like, you know, how that programming error or whatever it was that made gandhi this like belligerent <laughs> nuclear force in, um, yeah. in, Civ. in Civ, you know like yeah. you end up with systems that start manifesting as things that you can theoretically personify and thus hold a grudge against mm. it's kind of the only reason narrative games work at all is that the ability to create a system that appears to have some sort of mm. uh, personality or... impetus indeed that you can talk to and Resent until your grave. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My Fitbit. I resent that. Okay, we're not getting to, onto all grudges, Pip, because that is a big bro- big brook. It's a big book. What's the other one? The other thing that I don't like. No. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> As I say, different podcast. <laughs> because that is all of the grudges we have time for. Okay, fine. If you'd like to send us a, a grudge or a question... For future books. your grudges. So also send us some grudges. We can yeah. read them. We have the That's airing of the grudges. That'd be great. Yeah. Grudges yeah. from grudges. Questions from questions. Like yeah, read out the grudge book next week. They can mm. all, they can all be sent to questions at creightoncrowbar.com. Alternatively, you can tweet us at creightoncrowbar. You can also find us on Twitter at creightoncrowbar. I've said that twice, and I don't know why. What I meant to say was we're also on Discord. Uh, the link for our Discord channel is on the top bar of our website, com, And you can also support us on Patreon, if you wish, and find out more about that at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. If you'd like to follow us as individuals, my name is Chris Thurston, and I am at C Thurston, which is C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Pip is... I'm at Philippa War, which is at P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. Mm. And I, Tom Senior, am at PCG Ludo, which is L-U-D-O. 
Thanks for listening, everybody.